Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. I'm not going to redo it. Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It is. We're all back. That's the important part. We're all part. back. We're back. It's been, a, it's been a strange month. A lot of stuff about this book, but that's all in the past. If you're sick of hearing about the book, rejoice. You're not going to have to hear about it again. Unless it, you know, something weird happens, but most likely you're never going to hear about it again. We're back to do it covering the breaking news and most important stories of the day. (laughs) (laughs) All the politics that you can handle up to a maximum (laughs) volume. Um, What are we talking about? I'm here with Andy and Tammy. We actually are very happy to be back. Yeah. It's good to see both of you. Andy, yeah. what's uh, what's going on in Philadelphia? Um, nothing's going on. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm ready for Thanksgiving, but it's actually the first week of November. <laughs> Are I'm you just, a like, big Thanksgiving to... thing guy? No, I'm, I'm just looking forward to the time off from work. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's... You had a talk recently. That was good. I had a talk last week. Um, uh, thanks to the Discord discord members who attended the talk and asked a few questions that was nice um yeah so it it was fun and uh you know maybe i might turn to a a thing and we might actually uh talk to our uh interlocutor charmaine schwa um about supply chains um which is something i know tammy is also working on so we're talking about maybe doing an episode about that in the future um so that would be good yeah logistics love supply chain the most the most exciting topic. <laughs> it's a very people, sexy topic right now. <laughs> it sort of is. Did you? Yeah. It seems like it's I, kind of a intractable problem. Yeah. I think these things are all connected <clears throat> with, uh, you know, the, what we're really going to talk about, which is like the disaster of this country. Um, right. That, I was like, what? You mean woke education? It's <laughs> like, like all these all these teamsters are reading uh, Robin D'Angelo and Eric yeah. Bell and <laughs> and 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 and, and Doctor yeah. Andrew Max Kendi, and they're all they're all they've all decided to to stick it to white supremacy right. by not by like Christmas is canceled. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Tammy, that's true. That's ultimate cancellation. Tammy is in New York City. Tammy, are you worried about? Uh, about are you worried about Christmas? <laughs> are you worried about like your, gift giving? <laughs> yeah, about gift giving. Are you worried that your presents for your loved ones will not arrive in time, or will, perhaps will not <laughs> arrive great, at all? <laughs> the great crisis of our time. <laughs> I know. I know. My household doesn't really do gifts. Yeah, so. me either. It's been a while since I've kind of been in that. But what about cash envelopes or anything? <laughs> yeah, no, we don't do envelopes. that either. Not really. Just no. eating. Yeah. But I, I almost never go home for Christmas. So, oh. yeah. yeah, we don't really do presents either. So it's like yeah. a foreign uh, concept to me. I'm like, oh no, I'm worried that. Like, what are you talking? I can just go to the store and buy something, right? Like, what is this? Like, what are what are these things that they can't just go to Target and buy? Like, what are people? So a lot of about? things. Like what? Like, I was in the drugstore yesterday. Like it was half empty. Of, yeah. Yeah. You can't find enough things at a Target to like <laughs> give people eight presents or something the like that. The thing that your kid wants, you know? Like oh, the specific like, well, things that your kid wants. I guess you're yeah, that toys, particular about what presents that you stuff. give That's out. That's the you know? thing. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a real crisis, yeah. but it I mean it's not a it's not a personal crisis. I do kind of think um things could get really bad and that might tank 
the midterms next year. I don't know. We're about to. Are you attempting to do a segue? I, 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 uh, inflation inflation keeps coming up in all these topics. Okay, so, so. we haven't been... Um, let's go to our first topic. We haven't been together yeah. for a long time. And um, in the interim, you know, there was this big election last week, and there's also... I have never seen a bigger flurry of takes come out of one election than than this, right? And I don't know what it is. Uh, I have is not theory. actually a big election. <laughs> right? was, yeah, like the governor of, of Virginia yeah. and New Jersey. Those were the two big ones. For sure. But nobody really talked about New Jersey. Everyone talked about Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of this is just that you have everybody kind of trained to be a political reporter now in some ways, right? And to give political takes. And that is the impact of the Trump administration. And so before, even during Obama, like you wouldn't, a lot of people would just sort of stay in their lane. They wouldn't, you know who would ever care about it like a off-year gubernatorial race like is there anyone who would care like i I don't i I don't even know who the governor of north carolina was when i was growing up you know (laughs) yeah jim hunt why are i don't know are are governor races just in random years yeah why was it in 2021 you know yeah (laughs) this is all all stuff that nobody knows (laughs) mysteries right so um but now everyone is weighing in and they're all giving takes. And the general take is this, right? That, um, that, uh, what's his name? Young, Youngkin. Glenn Youngkin, who is a wealthy GOP candidate, right? And who ran at some point decided he was going to run an education, which is a very strange thing to run on these days, right? Like it's not something that people generally run for gigantic office for, which the governor of Virginia is a big office. And, uh, his, he like sort of did this thing where he like was running on like a softer, gentler anti-CRT thing, right? Like he would specifically say, we're not going to, it's not, he wasn't like any sort of seditious like uh, treatise that is found <laughs> within a Virginia classroom will somewhere, you know, will be uh, dealt with in a quick and efficient manner. Like he wasn't saying anything of that, right? He was saying like, we will teach the truth about America, but we do need to think about and get rid of critical race theory in our schools, right? Which is a softer version of it, even though he says the words critical race theory, which I think are like sort of the big, you know, like that's what's important. Um, And he is running against a guy named Terry McAuliffe, right? Who at some point was the governor of Virginia and um, who sort of this retread and McAuliffe basically ran on anti-Trump stuff. Like, right, he was basically like, and that's, you know, that's the sort of tragedy of the Democrats is that they do this over and over and over again. Now, did we have a Bernie would have won type of situation where if uh, the Democrats in Virginia would have run like a much, much more left wing, cooler candidate that they would have won? Probably not. <laughs> you know, like Virginia, <laughs> like there's nothing in the recent electoral history of Virginia that says that would have been a better idea. But maybe they could have found a more appealing centrist than this. Right. OK, so. Yeah. um all this to say is that I think we should talk a little bit about this idea of what's happening with schools and how it's become an electoral issue and like what we actually think about that, because I don't think we've really we've weighed in on the CRT panic before, but it's reached a whole other level now because it's reached that level of the punditry where people are basically saying the fate of the country rests on how we deal with the CRT panic. Right. OK. But do we do we <laughs> accept the fact that he won because of the education issue? Because that's, I mean, we don't know for sure. And there are other things that happened during the race, right? But we right, can say right. that that was definitely important. Right, right. Like at least yeah. signaling wise, I guess. Yeah, well, I'd be curious what you guys think about this that. This is like how, how I would put it. it was. 
Andy, what do you think? Um, I will say I did not follow this race at all. Oh my god! Until okay, afterwards, canceled. All right. My <laughs> my thought is that. Oh wait, until after. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were was, basically okay. saying I didn't do the reading, and then I was no, no, like, no. Yeah, I did no. the reading. I was <laughs> rushing the reading, right. you're, which is to say a, that a lot of the stuff Andy. is you're reinstated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, like in real time, you canceled yeah, it. You canceled it's a quick journey. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, there was this piece um, by Maya Wiley uh, that was posted on Twitter where she analyzes like what really, what really, what the race really came down to, and. CRT is like for her, like, you know, 10% of what was going on, but the media fixated on it so much. If you look at like the full speeches of what uh, Youngkin was saying, he was saying a lot of things that spoke to like the practical needs uh, of the average Virginia right. family and particularly like parents who are frustrated with like schools closing during the pandemic. And um, mm. uh, McAuliffe was, you know, he might have better policies, you know, as a Democrat, we might think he has better policies. But his messaging was fixated on um, anti-Trump so much that it was just like, who cares? He had know, no positive point? platform kind of thing. Right. And right. so, yeah, that's so that's her analysis. Again, like since I wasn't, you know, uh, staying up all night reading like the speeches of the Virginia gov- governor race before the election. <laughs> like, I don't, Tammy, you're you know, who long. knows? But that's but that's her. Uh, that was her interpretation. Oh, yeah. Well, that was true. Like they were showing some of the ways in which like the closing weeks went right for messaging and it was something like McAuliffe was like 75% negative right against Yunkin and mm-hmm. Yunkin was like 40% negative or something like that right so there's like the Democrats went way more negative it was all about association with Trump and like this is like it just reminds me a lot about reading that book about uh what's the guy's name um the guy Robbie Mook right and the yeah. 2020 election or 2016 election and how like basically their entire strategy was just to redo what Obama did. Right. And like, just yeah. like be like, Oh, well, let's do it again. And this seemed like the same thing. They run this retread guy out yeah. there. Right. And they basically say, well, this is how we did. Uh, we had this huge gain that flipped Virginia from a purple state to a blue state. Right. Like we went to the middle and we appealed to anti-Trump stuff and then they just run it back again, which I don't really even fault them for, but it feels kind of like an old NBA team like coming out and running the triangular like seven times, right? It's <laughs> like, listen, dude, they're ready for you. I promise. You, know? you can barely make it up and down the court right now. You know, like Biden's uh, uh, approval rating is so low that like, you know, yeah. like, it's going to be you're, you're up against like a significant challenge. And that's really the question about it, right? Tammy, what do you think? Do you yeah. think that this thing hinged on CRT or not? I'm really skeptical about that. I It seemed like it was actually just campaign funding. <laughs> I mean, Youngkin spent so much money, and by all reports, he ran way more ads and plastered all of the media much more than McAuliffe. So, I mean, that generally determines races, which is just so sad and pathetic. And I'm sure if McAuliffe had a better platform, he could have overcome some of that. But it did seem really determinative. He spent so much of his own fortune on his own campaign. Right, right, which, you know... It's interesting. It's sort of like a Bloomberg model, right, for local politics. But he also did this thing where it was that I found kind of interesting where, you know, Andy alluded to it, which is that like he did. It seems like the real difference between them was that um, was that he basically said, hey, the pandemic was bad and the school closures were bad. And I understand that you're mad. Right. And um and I think that that is really the most interesting distinguishing part because I'm with you. I don't really believe that the CRT thing had almost had anything to do with it, really. 
because if you look at it, it's just like, yes, um, he did sort of do much better in the suburbs than people expected. Yeah. And then there was like that sort of like Wajahat Ali article that was like, this is all you Karen's fault, which I just find like, <laughs> oh, so, really? yeah, like so, so boring and offensive because like a whole bunch of white women voted for Yunkin. But if you think, of, and so then you like put out this very like sort of misogynist <laughs> narrative. It's like yeah. all these moms, all these soccer moms in the suburbs are pissed off at CRT in schools. And they're so racist that like they're going to vote for the GOP and it's their fault that the country is bad. Just like, shut the fuck up. You know, like, what are you talking about, man? You know, like it's such a weirdly misogynist take to be like, yeah. you know, like just being like these moms, you know, just like, I don't know. I being a mom is pretty cool first of all it's so, like can you, I, I don't know can we stop using this term karen am i the only person who thinks that like i hate it like i find it so like weirdly offensive yeah. like i don't Do want to ever a... use it as a shortcut though no ever? i've never i've never used yeah. it except <laughs> okay. ironically never i i only found out about it last year for my students am i really out of date well isn't yeah. it had ex- no, like the birder video right Andrew, are you aware of this television show then. squid game <laughs> <laughs> have you watched you know, at double speed for this yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know you know what on god means <laughs> Wait, what i actually don't know. Yeah. literally uh, no, that's <laughs> something that it's something that kids on tiktok oh say they say, on god really and, and then they say wow. bussin i guess i don't know what is bussin? I have no idea what any of these are. My friend, <laughs> my, my friend is a my friend is a is a um, principal of a Catholic school in New Jersey, and he does it. He has this TikTok that is just to troll his students, where he'll like pretend to do uh, TikTok trends as like this old white guy or like this middle aged white really guy. That's really cute. And so he did this video. He's like bussin on God, respectfully, sir. Sir, Boston. <laughs> he just like says the TikTok words over and over again. It's pretty funny. He also is like an amazingly good shooter at basketball. So a lot of them he just does while like trading threes all over the court. It's actually quite entertaining. He's so that makes him cool. Yeah. Oh. Apparently, I learned from him that Boston and On God are two things that the kids right. say. Oh okay, Andy, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, you no, learned I had no about, point you of learned about this last Karen. year. Yeah. No, just that. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, it seems like like a total generational difference. I would never use it. Yeah, it is kind of like weird and forced when someone like our age or older uses it. Right. There, there is a whole thing around the voting, you know, with white women though, and then all of these books on white feminism, and there's something going on where we're trying to reckon with like what it means that so many white women vote against what we expect from good liberals. I guess I don't know why we expect them to vote democratic, and therefore it's always a disappointment. It's a bit confusing, but. Some, there's something someone's that people like what, in society right now are trying to work out with white women. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Since like Mickey Kendall did the feminism is for white or what is it? Solidarity is for white women thing. Right. Do you remember oh, that? yeah. I thought that was cool. And there's a whole publishing trend right now around white feminism. Right. Anyway, right. we can talk about that another time. Yeah. I met Mickey Kendall in Chicago because I was working on this piece and she like had sort of tipped me off that there was like a serial killer in Chicago. And then we went and investigated it. Wait, what? And then there, it turns out that there was a serial killer. I mean, it was like the only biggest story I've ever broken, but I got no cup. I got no credit and Mickey got no credit either. My own po- only point is that I spent like three days with Mickey Kendall. You know, I don't know if the listeners don't know who Mickey Kendall is. She's like sort of, she's a writer <laughs> and she's like, she wrote the book hood feminism. And she fights a lot with people on Twitter in a way that I've always found like kind of cool. I love Mickey Kendall. 
She was so cool. I wonder why like, you would find that identifiable, Jay. No, but she just like the whole time, all she just make fun of my shoes, you know, and like was like, was so fun, like so helpful with this whole thing. And was like, I don't know. I just love her. Um, I have nothing. I don't to say understand about the her. serial um, killer thing. You guys found wait, you out. You broke a story? Yeah. I'm oh, so yeah. Confused. We broke this story. It turned like, so she was talking about how there had been this long standing string of like strangulations of women who were then oh lit God. on fire in dumpsters all oh over shit. like sort of south side of chicago and that how the clearance rate at the chicago pd is so is like half or less than half of what new york city or any other major city is like in terms of the murders that they solved and that this uh clearance rate thing had been for years cover for people just like basically mm-hmm. go off and commit homicides i mean the same idea as jill avoid's ghetto side book right yeah. like uh, about south central los angeles that if you have these areas where the police don't solve any murders and you're going to have by almost almost by definition serial killers who come in and mass murderers who come in are never caught and they just keep killing right so um i was interested in that idea at the time and then i saw mickey tweeting about it and then i got in touch with her and then we went and started this thing and then we did all this data stuff oh my gosh. and then uh and then the chicago pd was like there's no serial killer and then um and then the tribune copied our story and then the Chicago PD was like, we believe there's a serial killer <laughs> and we have Holy started shit. a blue ribbon task force. Why didn't, why didn't you get any credit for it? I don't know because it was, a, I was like a TV correspondent at Vice. They don't have to give us credit, you know? Yeah. Okay. If I had done it for the times, I certainly would have gotten credit for it, but whatever. I know. I know who broke that story. <laughs> Mickey Kendall. Mickey Kendall for sure. <laughs> no question. Mickey Kendall. Um, I was just an idiot on camera talking to Mickey Kendall. Um, so wait, what were we? Why did that come up? We're no all idea. over the place. Parents. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, white, white women. women supporting yeah. McCall okay. or uh, Youngkin. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it seems like I mean the other thing that's interesting is like, well, um, Youngkin was really uh, even even like from the progressive perspective, you could say that Youngkin was right to push back on um, school closures and that this is like a legitimate issue right. that should be up for debate. Um, that seems to be like where the winds are headed. Like it's not just the if you're a Democrat, if you're a progressive, you have to be for school closures at this point. It's like we have to, uh, and I think uh, it seems like a lot of the a lot of the votes or like the defections away from Democrats wasn't so much being for or against school closures, but feeling you know the sense of frustration that it it is that they um, weren't being heard. not not up for yeah, debate. I think it's right, an exactly. empathy thing more. Right. You could state yeah. the scientific policy if you have a particular view of that, but then at least acknowledge. Yeah, that family suffered because of this. Yeah, right? and that is yeah. yeah, everyone's unhappy. Yeah, friend right. of the pod Zach Carter wrote a piece about this too. Right? Did you read that um, about how I that a lot of Virginia was uh, was determined Virginia, by school yeah. closures and people's responses to them? And you I could see. see you could see some correlation. And you know, like yeah. the typical response from liberals these days, especially online, is to just basically say nothing has happened and nothing means anything. You know. And, and as a way to like defend what they think are progressive policies, right? And I don't know. I think that's a very bad, bad, bad thing to do when uh, to sort of deny that parents all over the country are fucking furious right now. They are. And they're not yeah. necessarily furious about critical race theory or diversity initiatives or whatever. Nobody cares. Yeah. They're mad that the schools are closed. <laughs> you know, Tammy, I have a question for you. Um, I want to float this uh, like along these lines. Like, are you worried at all about teachers unions? more than normal <laughs> yeah like are you worried that like the because i will say just from a anecdotal but also somewhat reported standpoint on this mm-hmm. question right 
that a lot of the anger that parents feel, and this is a national anger, it does not have any sort of partisan bent to it, as Andy pointed out, right? Like liberal parents are angry. Socialist parents are angry. Tanky parents are angry. Socialist parents. <laughs> what's the what's the other? Those are the only three categories of politics in America. So <laughs> <laughs> liberal, socialist, and tankies yeah. are all mad. Um, and most of their ire is directed, a lot of their ire is directed at teachers unions, right? Because so I thought we had that, gotten over that or not over that, over that, but I thought that the worst of that was last year, pre-Delta. Are you seeing a resurgence because of the thing around vaccine mandates? No, no. I'm just, I just think it's like a bad taste in the mouth type of thing. From the no. whole two years yeah. that we've been doing yeah. this. I see. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I was more worried, I would say like a year ago, remember when Randy Weingarten and other folks were coming out really strongly against vaccines right, and, you right. know, there were... To me, that was felt like the nadir of this around Rand, Randy Weingarten being the uh, head of oh the, the head of the AFT yeah, sorry yeah so, yeah the yeah. main AFT meaning yes, yes. Um, one of two um, yeah Federation and of Teachers yeah. now I guess I've feel like I've been hearing about it less yeah I guess I think that's true but I just worry about the uh, time when like most people have you know a lot of resentment still. I think, right? And what that means now, there hasn't been any, you know, rubber hits the road moments, like strikes or anything like that. But I do worry that overall the public sentiment or the public support for teachers unions probably at a very low level right now. But I guess what I want to know is that, like, does that matter? <laughs> no, seriously, like, does it yeah, matter? Yeah, it matters a lot. I mean, at any of the contract at the upcoming contract talks, if that's the case, that'll be a huge barrier because teachers unions, nurses unions, these are the ones where you generally need a lot of community support okay. in terms of the budget negotiations, right? So yeah, I mean, that's worrying. Can you guys describe like what your fellow parent friends are saying? Like what what is the source of the, the bad taste? Well, is it mostly around the vaccine stuff or just school closures kind of I think it's closures, broadly? like fighting yeah. reopenings, I think was the biggest yeah. thing. Right. I don't know, Andy, what about your parent circle? My parent circle is generally <laughs> livid about closures. Um, uh, I mean, my, my, my kid's been in school the whole time and she's not old enough to go to public schools yet, but um, it does seem like just like reading the local news in Philly, it, it seems like there was like an agreement reached early on that they're just going to have to reopen schools, but deal with like all these sorts of extra measures, you know, mm -hmm. maybe like smaller classes or just like constant testing and periodic closures. But um, I think it was like a generally understood, like, I think the teachers understood that, uh, like, they had to, they, like, they couldn't go with school closures any longer. I think hmm. more generally, like, if we think about the difference between, like, last year and this year in terms of these election results, it almost seems like COVID forced, well, like, the combination of Trump being bizarrely inactive during COVID and doing nothing to deal with it mm -hmm. made Biden and made the Democrats look like the party of action for once. Mm -hmm. Right. And then conversely, uh, the Democrats, to a, due to a combination of A, this is just like their general nature, never to do anything to rock the boat, but also B, the sort of like uh, very strong political attachment to, um, um, I don't know, I don't want to, uh, it's hard to say, but I, I feel like they are taking like a very political rather than scientific attachment to like school closures or to a lot of this stuff uh, and, and like, you know, accusing anyone who disagrees with them of being like an anti-vaxxer or sort of like non-believer in science, right? That 
they have kind of backed themselves in, back into this corner of being the party of inaction. Right. Um, and that, you know, that to undecideds or two people in the middle, that is, um, you know, I think people tend to vote for action because they don't like the status quo and they think like the status quo sucks. Yeah. And they desperately want their lives to go back to fully normal, even if their lives are normal. And their only imposition is that like when they walk into Safeway, they have to put on a mask, right? Like that's, they'll, they'll like fight for that, right? To not have to put on a mask inside of the grocery store or something like that, right? Like, I think that's true. Um, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Moving on with this. I think we should talk about one more thing with this thing, which is that like, do you think, Tammy, do you think nationally that, um, where do you think we are with this CRT thing? Like this sort of, focus on education which seems strange right yeah um that i think that what's going to basically happen is that in the midterms a whole bunch of republicans are going to run on this thing right and it's because you know all the general explanations that the left gives i think are probably true you know it's like be out of a lack of anything else to run on right it's because the culture war sells much more than you know whatever ideas that they have about like tax cuts and stuff like that right or like loosening of corporate restrictions which you know trump already did away with all those anyway mm -hmm. so like it doesn't really matter they don't really have anything except for like let's get this wokeness out of our schools and that it seems to work in a lot of ways right in a lot of places yeah. where do you think we are in this are we going to be living through this reality for the next like 18 months or something like that oh my or, god or that's what? so bleak i mean one thing i've been thinking about this week is why it's this issue and whether we could draw analogies to previous culture war trends like abortion or you know and and when i've been trying to think about like what it is that crt because as we've discussed on previous shows it's sort of unclear what crt represents like what exactly they're trying to signal with it like means and it i mean one thing is i do think it's interesting like the republican strategy has been so effective especially at local at the local and state levels and educate public education because it is so um so local like people can profit from CRT like has the advantage, I think, of being a kind of like national blueprint that you can customize to your locality. And so in mm. that sense, like it seems like it's been really effective for Republicans. And so they can use that as like a symbol to talk about this whole range of kind of cultural issues, like basically like don't upset the status quo, how we've been living is good traditional values without like actually getting into any of that. So in a way, it kind of like eats into other culture war stuff they've been obsessed with, like abortion or trans bathrooms right. and stuff. It somehow is like this kind of umbrella. So I think maybe in that sense, but I, I wonder if like a little bit of the luster is wearing off. I mean, do you, it, we do hear periodically about these PTAs that are in different places, like organizing around this stuff, but it just, it just seems so empty and spurious. I just wonder if it can truly be a durable strategy moving forward. That's a good um, question. Yeah. Andy Lee, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, in a way, we're in a bubble. We don't really know how much this is yeah. resonating with, like, the real voters who watch Fox News and all that. Like, the I real think, voters. Yeah, or, like, you know, not the not the people who live in, like, blue cities, you know. Um, I think I think from the Republicans, to be cynical, I think from the Republican standpoint, it is smart for them to run on this because right. they know that there's a lot of Democrats who have to respond to this and who have to, like, valorously, uh, like, defend CRT and defend um, a lot of... A lot of stuff that, uh, you know, there's this article that Jay shared with from Eric Levitz who was saying like, a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. is kind of weird, like weird racial politics. Um, and we've kind of, a lot of left progressive um, people have kind of backed themselves in a corner defending stuff that's like, um, it's white to be individualistic and it's, um, 
and it's but it's like poc ish to like think in terms of groups and like right. math is for white people you know like that kind of stuff yeah. and like that's an extreme example but i do kind of think like a lot of this stuff is like you say tammy like a culture war it's like it's just kind of low-hanging fruit for people to fight about and if you're republicans who are trying to distract from maybe like not actually having good policies or not having policies that will benefit people as much as your opponents um, throwing this stuff out there and, and, and getting, you know, Terry McAuliffe to talk about Trump all the time is like yeah. a pretty good strategy. Right. right. Cause it stops the Democrats from talking about like how, infrastructure. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. Puts the, I mean, it puts the Democrats on the defensive as in a way that they have to defend something that they don't really even know what the other side is talking about. Right. But if all they say is like, this isn't real, this isn't real, then that's not a particularly good response, even if it's true. Because most people, I think, do have some experience where they've come across some sort of diversity training or something like that, that they didn't like, you know, and so they just sort of project that onto the entire school system. And they just kind of have these fantasies about what it would be like if like, you know, let's say your uh, chemi- kids chemistry class is now suddenly like a bastion of like diversity and equity training and they, you know, or that like, uh, you know, like the big example that the Times wrote a big story about was this like math curriculum draft in california which is like a non-binding suggestion by the california which says that we should get rid of calculus and algebra 2 and we should replace them with statistics and data visualization or something like that and that the reasoning behind this you know and i've read this thing and you know i read it when it came out last summer and it was because i wanted to know like is this real or is this Mm -hmm. just something that like you know someone at reason magazine or something like that is like power tagging and basically freaking out and taking out of context it's real you know like that's what it says like equity concerns mean that, you know, like not all students can do algebra two or calculus. And so we should, you know, we should get rid of all math tracking and we should put everybody in these different classes. And so we should, schools shouldn't, if, if schools want to opt into this, they shouldn't, they shouldn't, uh, offer calculus, which seems, you know, like, which I think that people can just say like, this is, that's stupid, you know, like it's such a, it comes from such an impoverished and first of all it's racist right and secondly it's like the 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 world of like uh sort of like whatever restorative whatever justice you feel like this is doing in the world like you're the only one who feels that this is justice you know (laughs) like literally no one else is like yeah let's get rid of calculus and say that like black and latino kids can't do it and therefore we fixed racism it's like crazily my uh minority opinion (laughs) right like nobody actually thinks that that's that that's a good idea and I don't know, I guess I was struck by this because I was writing something about the California uh, ethnic studies requirement, right? Which like is like a big deal, right? It's a much bigger deal than this math curriculum because like the math curriculum is optional. This is literally every kid in California has to take this class, you know? And so you read the curriculum and it uses the term XHR story for history. I don't even know what the fuck that is. I've never even seen it before. Have you seen that before? Uh, history, yeah. Yeah, but with an X instead of an E. Yeah. You didn't see like woman with a Y. I saw that, but I didn't see XHR (laughs) story. That's different. Right. Um, And, and the the whole thing is just, this like sort of like whatever, like, you know, like kind of like academic cultural studies gobbledygook, right? You can't read it. Like it doesn't make any sense. Hmm. And so then you just think like, well, why are you doing this? You know, like why, if you're trying to present something to the entire state of California, you're writing it in this way, right? Where you know that it's, you know, that everyone's going to clown you for this, you know? Like, you know, that P- and like, if you say, I don't give a shit, you know, this is how I write, you have to deal with it. It's just like, then you shouldn't be a public figure trying to like communicate with the re- with entirety of like the biggest state in the country. Like, what are you doing? And so um, I don't know, I guess I like sort of worry about it because um, 
you know, I think it's very hard to defend that stuff. Right. And so I think the yeah. Republicans kind of know if we just put our thumb on this one thing where all these people are sort of congregated and nobody really wants to defend this thing. Like, have you noticed that on social media, like whenever you, people talk about this, like no one actually defends the programs. Right. What they say is the the panic is not real. It's constructed. And the other thing mm -hmm. they say is that, yes, there are bad things that are going on, but they don't matter. Right. Like I was having this conversation with like I was on Twitter. I was talking to a friend of mine who I really respect. And his take was in the end, well, K through 12 education doesn't matter. And I was like, come on, you know, <laughs> like you can't have that. Be what do you like, mean it doesn't? What does he mean it doesn't matter? just, well, I don't know. Like, you know, like none of it, it really matters. Like K through 12 doesn't matter. doesn't matter. And so who cares if the thing that they're teaching is stupid, you know? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I was like, that no. is not a winning. That can't be our, yeah. that can't yeah. be our take. Some, right. some right. People really care matter. about their kids' education. The people who care about their kids' education the most like tend to be like minorities, you know? Yeah. And so in yeah. some ways, it's an extremely privileged thing to say K through 12 education doesn't matter because maybe it won't matter for your kid because, you know, I'm, I don't think that this person's kids are particularly privileged. But like, you know, it does see it does smack of kind of like, well, who cares? You know, like my kid's going to be fine type of thing. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I worry so, in that way. I mean, how in the biggest and most important state does such do such shoddy versions of things that maybe intrinsic, like at their heart, could be good, get passed? Well, um, I I think that it's like basically a similar reason why you just think like, okay, New York City, how did Richard Carranza become the Department of Education? Like the guy's the guy like is a moron, you know? And like, how is he like the stuff that he was saying? that got all the Asian parents mad, it's like total own goal, own goal stuff where you're just like, you didn't have to say it that way. You know, you didn't yeah. have to say like, we need Stuyvesant to look more like New York, right? Like that's just racist. Anybody is going to call it out as racist. Maybe your defenders are going to deny it, but they're going to look crazy because everybody understands what you mean by that. And it's racist, you know? And of course, you're going to piss off every single Asian parent in the city, right? And across the country. So why are you doing it that way? You know, like in what world did you cut? Like, why are you working in politics if you're going to be this like ridiculous about everything? And I think that it's because none of these are really elected positions, right? They're appointments, right? And the appointments come um, through people who are uh, elected, who have certain networks, and then, then people come in through the networks, right? And then, and then you have people who are just sort of coming in basically out of education, graduate school, and they have all these ideas, and then they have carte blanche to pass things, and then they get massive resistance whenever it goes out in public. And then they didn't, and then they'll like all mass resign or something like that, right? And then you just have this total mess. It just keeps happening over and over and over again. I yeah. don't know. Um, Andy, what do you think? Wait, Tammy, are you? Tammy's disconnected again. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I almost wonder, like, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the way forward is. Um, in terms of like, I think you know, for the three of us on this podcast, we typically just kind of ignore this stuff. Right. We're like, well, that's not that's not us. That's not what we think, you know. But um, to, is this actually like a thing where like the Republicans or the right can actually make inroads to? centrist photos i'm not really sure it is though like i think uh, it might be something where they just kind of play it up on fox news and they win over like the republican base but um i don't do you, do you really get the sense that some people's like vote or their their opinions about like the direction of the country is being swayed by like crt talk and all that stuff well very good segue um there is <laughs> a uh i do think some people are and those people are immigrants right 
And this is where <laughs> yeah. I find like, uh, you know, some of the language around this to be like very problematic to me, where it's just like, well, nobody cares about this stuff, right? The only people who care about this are like wh white people who watch Fox News and be like, that's not true, you know? So you have this early returns in New York City for the mayor's race, which obviously was pretty low turnout, right? Like it's an off-year election, just like the Virginia thing. And um, it's also like a hopeless election where like nobody actually so ever bad. thinks that like Curtis Silva is going to win, right? He's a Republican right. candidate run against Eric Adams, who I don't even know how to describe him politically at this point. Like he seems to be like part of the Bitcoin party. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see he, he wants? He thinks that cryptocurrency should be taught in New York City public schools. <laughs> oh my wow. lord, he's yeah. such a mess. He's, so taking, his, he's taking his wow. first three paychecks in Bitcoin. I love him, by the way, <laughs> because, uh. just because of his support of the crypto. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, 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 find, I just find it deeply weird, you know, not because yeah. he's like he's a deeply the, weird person, right? Yeah, yeah. it's just like, where was all this Bitcoin stuff that during the campaign? <laughs> like, you didn't say a, really a word about it, except for sort of like, oh you know, like, God. oh, you know, we should think of cryptocurrency. It's like the same stuff that like Andrew Yang was saying, right? But and now he's like, actually, you know, here's my curriculum idea. It's not about CRT, but you know, like what we should do is we should just teach cryptocurrency in all the schools in New York City. It's like that's the weirdest idea I've ever heard in my life. <coughs> anyway, um, okay, so uh the point was that like uh early returns, you know, um Mail-in ballots haven't come in yet, but I don't actually think mail-in ballots in these areas actually will matter very much, right? Like, the, like people sort of do this, like, one-size-fit-all type of analysis of returns when mail-in ballots haven't come in. But, like, do you really think that, like, a, a uh, precinct in which, like, the precinct is more than 75% Asian in New York City, do you really think that, like, mail-in ballots are going to mirror, like, you know, like, the D.C. suburbs or something like that? No. Right? In terms of, like, <laughs> it was, like, mailing in. I think that most people probably go to the polls, right? Um, and I don't think there's, like, yeah. some sort of, like, rich uh, liberal cohort in there that, like, withholds their vote and all does mail-in voting. Like, I just don't believe that. So um, there is, uh, okay, 16 points is what it swung from 2020 right or uh and then 2020 they swung yeah right for trump for yeah. trump right and then they swung 16 percent more and in latino neighborhoods which are more than 75 percent um it, it was a 40 percent swing right is that right am i reading this correctly? uh yes 40%. oh no 25 no 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 25 percent no no so it, it trump won by all these big swings and then Silva won by even more right. than Trump won right. in these name in these okay. in these districts where there's seventy five percent or more Asian or seventy five percent or more Hispanic. Yeah. So yeah. basically, a, an even more dramatic rightward shift in twenty twenty. Right, and the Hispanic swing was bigger than the Asian swing, but the Asian swing was still pretty big, right? And there's a lot of things that this is, you know, sort of put on. It definitely is not just put on CRT or something like that in these neighborhoods, right? But it is put on in a lot of ways, people think, in a different education issue, which is test schools, right? Yeah. And then, and also, uh, what's it? And also um, policing, right? Crime and public safety issues and stuff like that. I don't know. Like, my thought about this is that basically, like, that here in the Bay Area, it's very clear that, like, if people want to be anti, like, San Francisco Unified School Board, which obviously has become, like, sort of this national disaster that people know about, right? Like, the, spent most of the pandemic trying to figure out how to rename schools instead of trying to figure out how to reopen. And everybody sees them as this like paragon of silly 
DEI wokeness, right? Um, mm-hmm. That the people, a large part of the coalition against that sort of stuff is going to necessarily be like Asian, American, and Latino, like just immigrant families. What do you think about that, Tammy? I think they're well organized enough for that to actually be a thing. <laughs> the Asians? Yeah. The beginning oh, to be yeah, for more sure. I mean, yeah. I think in California to some extent. I mean, the Sliwa. Sliwa, Sliwa, I always call him Sliwa, uh, Sliwa uh, voting Sliwa? pattern to me. Sliwa, wow. Yeah, I felt like it was more about the fact of his, I don't know. I mean, he did do a lot of campaigning in those communities, and I don't know how to read. Like, I don't know if this means something bigger. I mean, with regards to the coalition work, yeah, I mean, I think it's very concerning, but are you talking about, them getting organized like through the channels that we've often discussed like the you know well the kind they're of already organized through that yeah but i guess i'm just saying that more that like there's going to be a large sort of reliable educate conservative on education block. block within immigrant neighborhoods um that was always there in a lot of ways right especially during like the reagan era but now is sort of reforming again um i don't know andy what do you think yeah yeah and we shouldn't Maybe mention this is coming from the Substack called Vulgar Marxism. Uh, very good name uh, for this for this blog post. And the larger point I think is about like this transformation. That's well, the, the argument is like there's a transformation happening. I don't know if it's actually going to happen. Mm. And I think it has a lot to do with you know a very like leftist critique of the Democrats for doing nothing and relying upon race to basically develop, deliver them victories. Right. And so the point of this, and there's a weird contradiction or not contradiction, but a sort of like tension in what what is being argued here, because um, I think it's, it's useful to do the sort of quote unquote racial analysis and look at how, how are Asians voting, how are Hispanics voting. But I think that the larger takeaway or the hypothesis being floated is that ultimately race isn't going to matter as much as the Democrats have long wanted it to matter, right? Like the Democrats have waited for 20, 30 years for POC votes to, you know, give them a crushing majority in all these around the country. And it seems like that is slipping away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something else going on that is allowing the Republicans to siphon off the POC vote. And I guess in the New York City, like the clearest example would be the sort of standardized testing controversy. Right, right. I mean, that's that, Andy, that's a very succinct crystallization of this question. <laughs> Tammy, what do you think? Do you think that like the POS, the the coalition, what you know, racists call the coalition of the margins, right? And what uh, what non anti racists would probably also call the coalition of the margins? Do you think it's in? Do you think it's in? Uh, do you think it's in trouble? Well, I mean, I think like you know much more about the kind of education voting swings than I do, and I. But I, I guess what my skepticism comes in is like in the same way that for the Democrats, these racial blocks have become less reliable. I don't know why we would expect them to be durable on the Republican end either. In other words, there could be, we could be in a moment where they're able to pick off based on this issue in a kind of post George Floyd, like reactionary moment or something. But I don't, I mean, do you really think that these kind of, you know, nascent organizing groups that have been obviously targeted by some of like the, in the affirmative action cases that you've learned about and stuff like that will just will last and develop into something that is like strong. Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. My sense of this is this, is that like basically one generation, the first generation of people who are, you know, like it's what's the stat? 70% of people, Asian Americans were not born in this country, right? Like, so they're all recent immigrants in some sort of way. Right. 
or they're all new immigrants. And I think that those people are much more attuned to, you know, whatever their language is, right? Uh, media, right? Um, like Chinese language media, for example. And that in the Vietnamese community, that generation, obviously, because of their experiences at home, are going to have certain politics too, right? And it's true of the Chinese population as well, in a lot of ways, right? And that uh, that I feel like those people are always going to be conservative, and they've been conservative, and now they're just voting, right? And they're and they're much more they're much better at getting their messaging out, and they're organizing in a lot of ways that are pretty organic. That like uh, was shown in Ursa Liang's film about the Peter Liang protest, right? Like it's like grassroots organizing. Like I don't I don't know what else to call it. And so I think that that is true. Now, I think they're children, right? Yeah. And you see this yeah. in, in, in the Vietnamese community as well in, in Orange County is that the kids of these people are all reliably Democratic voters, right? Sure, yeah. And so, like, I don't know if it's going to be like a 20-year thing before these people start to age out, you know, <laughs> and they're replaced. And so I think that's probably the biggest long-term trend, which is that, like, regardless of what these people's politics are, you know, the parent generation or the first generation, the second generation all kind of turn into like, you know, liberals, right? Because the, the, the second generation, because they were raised in America, cares much more about questions like who is more racist, right? <laughs> because they right. have lived in America. Like people who are recent immigrants, like they, they don't, I don't think they really care that much about that, right? I think they have certain assumptions that America is going to be racist either way and that they're both racist, you know, or they don't think about race in the same way. Like those are the two options. And so I don't know. That's a very good question. I don't know how reliable it is. And I, I do think right now, though, that, that it's all trending that way, right? It's all trending towards the right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. I mean, that pattern you described, Jay, is kind of what the Democrats are relying upon. Like, right. in the end, where, where else are you going to go? The Republicans? They're racist. So you got to vote for us. And the the question is like, well, what if the Republicans were slightly less racist? You right. know? And, and what if Asian Americans, second, third, fourth generation... Latino Americans begin to kind of slowly swing in that direction a little bit, then the Democrat House of Cards kind of collapse collapses, you know. And so to Tammy's point in terms of like, um, is this going to last? You know, I, I, you're right. I don't think it has to last. Like, there's no reason for it to last. Like, it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. on, on on the surface. But I think the biggest thing going for the Republicans is the fact that the Democrats don't do shit, and they still and like they have no plan for offering any solutions. Yeah. Um, other than just kind of stubbornly clinging to the status quo, it seems like, you know, like, uh, I think I think what this election or reading through all this analysis has led me, my, full, my, my final conclusion is basically I'm very pessimistic right now, um, following the election, following the Biden bills in the sense that it does, it does seem like the Democrats really are just two different parties, you know, combined into one. What does that mean? And what are the two parts? So, you know, the, the mansion wing, and there's the sort of the conservative wing and then the progressives and then with a lot of like grayer in between. Right. Right. And I think like, like, so to get to Tammy's question, well, how do, can you win back these minorities um, back to the democratic party? If, um, if they're just being forced to choose between like standardized testing versus like nothing, well, you could radically change the education system in directions that the progressives want it to be changed towards. Right. Like, more available education, all that's like cheaper college, right. like fewer student loans and so on. But I don't think the Democrats are going to do that. No. And I don't think the Democrats are going to offer anything. So, so like the Republican, the Republicans are offering, I mean, 
you know, the, the standardized testing is this very stark example, but you're like, well, standardized testing isn't going to be the same um, case that gets repeated all around the country over and over mm-hmm. and over, is it, right? Um, but, you know, as long as the Democrats don't do anything and and don't really, like, fight this Republican messaging and they just kind of, like, stick to the status quo, then the Republicans probably can kind of make these inroads, mm-hmm. these culture war inroads mm-hmm. over and over. Um um, until the Democrats do something in response, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think outreach could help, right? Like, uh, you know, sort of, but then what are you going to do? Tell them when you do outreach, right? Like, like the, all you can do all the outreach you want if your message sucks and you know, it doesn't really matter. Right. So like, uh, and then the thing that I imagine at least in New York city is at the top of people's minds are these attacks, right. And education right, yeah. and economy stuff. Right. Like, but the economy stuff's kind of vague and a, city election right so um i don't know i don't think that like uh i don't know i don't think that like sort of like a broad coalitional idea of of uh you know like multiculturalism is really going to work but I, I agree with you andy i don't know what the democrats do at this point other than that right and i do think that a lot of these people have got made put have it in their minds perhaps like sympathetically or perhaps correctly that the Democrats are against them when it comes to education, right? And that, um, I don't know, that's, they're generally one issue voters or they, a lot of them are one issue voters. And it's very hard to restore that trust, I think, at this point, when it seems like, you know, the Democrat idea of education is just deny that things are bad, you know, and to, uh, and then to do things that are, you're just like, why are you doing that? Right? Um, yeah. Right. Uh, Tammy, do you, do you share Andy's pessimism? I do, but I think my pessimism is more about why, I mean, I think it's probably the same pessimism, but why we have so little conversation about like other issues, you know, that actually matter to people. And I I mean, it does seem like in a lot of the mayoral races around the country, it wasn't CRT or education that made the difference, but rather housing and homelessness. And so maybe that's another thing. I mean, in a lot of places, it actually went in a bad direction, meaning that moderates went over progressives who were probably better on housing. And oh, you so mean I like Buffalo? You know, Buffalo, Seattle yeah, wasn't was good. Weird. Like there were some very yeah. What what's going on in Seattle? No, what happened so in Seattle? Seattle basically had a moderate sweep on the open city council races and the mayoral race. Um, a lot of people of color were running, and so I think from the outside it was sort of like, oh, it looks like this kind of progressive field. But you know, the, as we know, like the race stuff doesn't necessarily show with that. With the moderates, the moderates or POCs. The moderates basically swept, yeah, and and, and they were POCs. A lot of them were POCs, yeah. yeah. And, were they running and, on like anti-cap uh, Chaz? <laughs> so I, yeah, definitely. So I, and we yeah, had to take on the show, remember? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Autonomous. So so I think like in those kinds of places, you saw how like housing, homelessness, and policing kind of like operated similarly to CRT basically as these sort of like bogeymen. Um, And I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I guess like it made me depressed to that we couldn't have more, like there were that there weren't more places where people were being like, we're going to have like decent housing for people. We're going to work on local healthcare programs, like just kind of the, what we would expect to be quote unquote bread and butter issues, you know? I mean, fundamentally like the education stuff is, I mean, in none of these school systems, like, isn't re- is it really going to matter, like, who the governor is? Right. Mm, yeah. yeah, probably not. Right. I, mean, I, I can't mean, imagine. No. And like, even the mayor usually, I mean, they can make some differences in schools, but like, 
it's way more kind of bureaucratic and localized than that. Right, right, right. <laughs> but like for health and human services stuff, like it can make a huge difference. And yet it seems like we're not talking about that stuff as much, even as like we're having this discourse around the infrastructure bills. So I don't know that that part to me is very depressing. Especially yeah, I in this agree with moment. you. It's, it's weird how we're like talking about like basically what amounts to like uh, five minutes of each yeah. day. Exactly. And that's the biggest political issue after we've had this like world changing pandemic. Yeah. Like people are dying all around us. No one has housing or food. And we're like, right. And we're like, listen, we can't fix any of that. Like, but what we can do is we can take that diversity training out of the first once right. a month. You know, we you say once a month. What about once every three months? And then that's basically oh the, the whole thing. Yeah. It's depressing. I wrote a bit about that for this week. It hasn't come out yet, but I'm just like, we just basically don't have political possibilities right now. You know, mm-hmm. now that's yeah. debuffeted by the fact that we passed this gigantic infrastructure bill. Right. And so obviously there's like at the federal level, there's a lot of stuff going on, but man, at the local and, and uh, it just feels like politics is basically ground to a stop, you know? So let's yeah. talk about that. All right. So Rebecca Solna in the, um, and the uh, Guardian wrote, she was like basically writing like the positive take about all of this, right? <laughs> and so she wrote, as for this week's election, it swept in a lot of progressive mayors of color. The most prominent was Michelle Wu, who won the Boston mayor's seat as the first woman and first person of color. Elaine O'Neill would become Durham, North Carolina's first black woman mayor. Crazy. Both those cities I have lived in or actually live yeah. next to in the town next to them. <laughs> and Abdullah Hammond will become Dearborn's first Muslim and uh, Arab American mayor. That's crazy that Dearborn's first I know, Arab. That's kind Dearborn's like a hundred percent. Have you been to Dearborn? <laughs> it's like there's like no, there's like nothing except our, like it's like crazy. Great food in Dearborn. I loved you. Uh, I, I spent like a week in Dearborn. It's a I great place. Yeah. yeah. Um, like uh, Aftab Puraval will become Cincinnati's first Asian American mayor. That's crazy, by the way. Um, <laughs> that's Cincinnati. Pittsburgh elected its first black mayor, and so did Kansas City, Kansas's. Uh, Kansas City, Kansas. Cleveland's new mayor is also black. New York City elevated its second black Democratic mayor. Uh, I feel like at this point, you know, Rebecca's kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel here. And Shahana Hanif became the first Muslim wife. I mean, like, this is a lot of identity stuff. Shahana Hanif actually is really cool. But yeah, she's now, there's like a slippage, right? Because it's like progressive mayors of color, but then it's just mayors of color. And what, yeah, the Seattle line is weird. She's just a moderate defeated progressive, which you could also phrase as a black and Asian American man defeated a Latino. Yeah, okay. I guess we could do this. Like, what yes, a weird we sentence. <laughs> Whoa, bizarre. wait. The, the new man of Seattle is black and Asian? Yeah, yeah. He's Blasian. Uh, oh, Bruce wow. Harrell, yeah. He's um, been involved in local politics for a really long time, but most pe- progressives consider him totally ineffective. Moderate centrist. <laughs> Just yeah. a total okay. centrist kind of wild. What do we think about? I think we gave away what we think about Rebecca's take here. But I, <laughs> I, 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 well, I think like, some of it is right. Like, well, yeah. it feels very stuck in like 2012 or something like that, right? Where we're just like, yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> representation matters. <laughs> it's like the Emily's list of POC. <laughs> yeah, I guess at least we are, I don't know, maybe it signals that we're over the kind of representation only matters type of thing. But um, I don't know. What do you think about Michelle Wu? I, I, I think that we should talk about her, right? Because Michelle Wu reminds me a lot of like the Nithya Raman, who is like somebody I wrote about yeah, for yeah. the newsletter, right? Who's a city council person in the LA person LA, that you right? Right. And the things that I find that they are both, they basically both ran on affordable housing, right? And they both That's ran the on, on um, building more affordable housing and helping renters with protections and stuff like that. It was very progressive sort of, I, I feel like it's like they've kind of like crafted this type of like 
kinder, gentler Bernie platform, if that makes mm. sense, around housing specifically without like mentioning the word socialism or anything like that. But the, although I guess Nithya was sort of much closer to that yeah, because a lot of her stuff was like BSA stuff. But Michelle Wu seemed to be much more like, I'm just a progressive, yeah. right? She's um, a Warren, she's a Warren, uh, whatever, like acolyte, right? Or, right, right, right. So she's like, but like, you know, like Warren um, is also like, you know, was the second most left candidate in that yeah. field, right? So um, very much like professional, highly qualified, highly educated, yeah. that kind right, of, that kind right. of mold. And they both went to Harvard, Michelle Wu and Nathia <laughs> Robin. No, I'm serious. They both went to Harvard. Yeah. Right. I'm and sure. so then you had like, I don't know, I guess I'm sort of seeing what, do you think that there is a sort of like, uh, you know, like not exact, I don't think either of them like identitarian, right? Because they're like, what, how are you going to run on that in Boston if you're an Asian woman? It's like, yeah. yes, I'm going to capture the entire Asian woman vote of Boston. I'm going to clearly be the, like, well, there's not that many of them, right? I don't know. What do you think about this? Like, it does seem like a, I actually, I am actually like heartened by it. Like, I think it's cool I think that, it's you great. know. Oh, I think yeah. it's sad that all of the coverage of her is like, oh, she's the first Asian and first woman when, in fact, the distinguishing feature was her politics. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, and so I think I wish we had more coverage of that, that she really did go in on we can have this platform that's really around affordability. Right. Now, yeah. whether or not she's going to actually be able to pass a single it's thing very is very, yeah. <laughs> yes, like, I think the betting odds are on no, you know, because that's so hard. <laughs> housing, so I know. Like, it's just so hard, especially in a place like Boston. It's just, I like, know. impossible. So you could, like, come in with all the good ideas and then basically local politics are going to grind you, you know, grind you up. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I thought it was cool. I don't know. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in the Boston area, as you know. And it is fucking mind-blowing to me that an Asian woman is the mayor of Boston. Really? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's necessarily, like, a, you know, like, I'm, I, I'm not going to say, like, you know, like, it's, like, a huge victory for the Asian people. You know, but it's just surprising to me. I'm like, holy shit. It's great. You know? yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. It's just like, I That's can't believe really an cool. Asian woman, like in Boston, you know, um, but yeah. she won by, and she also won by a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and the other thing is interesting is that she's running about against a moderate who's also a woman of color. You know, that's right. And so then I'm just like, is or have we reached this point where if you want to run for office in a big city that has a bunch of white liberals that you actually should be white? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Because that's basically the truth in Berkeley. Like, I don't think Berkeley will ever elect a white mayor again. Like, I have this white friend who's from Berkeley and he's always talks about he wants to be mayor of Berkeley. I'm like, listen, man, I don't know how to tell you this, but you have no shot <laughs> because you're white. He's like, well, my wife is South Asian. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you have no shot. They're never gonna. Oh <laughs> they're never gonna elect a white mayor of the city again. You know, but then it now seems like there's a ton of cities where that's true, right? If anything, Rebecca Solnit's list of me. Rebecca Solnit's list of me just made like, man, you know, maybe maybe <laughs> white pol- local politicians need like a affirmative action because they're just getting like they're not even running getting, at this point. Right. Anyway, Andy, your thoughts. <laughs> Are you going to run for mayor of, of Philadelphia at this point? Yeah, I was just thinking our mayor is not um, a person of color. Uh, although he, he he makes a lot of a big deal out of his Italian roots in South oh, Philly, dear. so he is yeah. emphasizing. Did is Michelle this... did Michelle run on? I mean, I saw the coverage from her from like an Asian American angle, but was mm-hmm. her campaign itself like no. very like you know I'm Asian, vote for me, I'm Asian. Or, no, 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 no. I don't think so, but it, did, it. But I don't. I think she also didn't shy away from the immigrant story. Yeah. Like they, that was built. And I think you have to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. She was doing like I understand you in Roxbury because you know I'm totally. also from an immigrant. This but you know I'm, that yeah. makes sense. 
which is like sort of, you know, I think that's actually a much, it's like, classic, know, it's like yeah. what I was arguing a few years ago, right? That Asian American doesn't make sense, but immigrant identity does right. make sense. Right. But like, uh, like how do you run Asian on Asian American for politics? <laughs> like, I just don't get it. Really? If you run in a period in an area that has a ton not of Asian there. people, yeah. in it, then like, they're not going to think of you as Asian, right? They're just going to think of you as like Korean or Chinese or Vietnamese or whatever. Right. Um, and if you were, are in a big city, then like you probably like just appealing to Asianness doesn't really work. Right. And yeah. it's also kind of implied. It. Like yeah. Andrew, right. So I don't know. But I, you I, can do multilingual campaigning too, like ally communities, yeah. you know? Like you can right. be a Chinese candidate and go deep in the Koreans and stuff like that. Yes. But, yes, that's but yeah, for Michelle Wu, it seems like not in Boston. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really part of her campaign at all, was it? Like, I mean, it wasn't like she wasn't like, I want to be the, the, the people who say stuff like I, I'm good. Mm, she's the first different. Asian American mayor or something. It's not Michelle Wu who's saying that, right? Like it's the press that's right. saying that. It's like people like Rebecca Solnit, who apparently is like the most representation matters person in America. Is Nitya Raman <laughs> oh, but is we she should... from Bangladesh? Is she? Yeah. She's first generation, right? Is, yeah. So there's I also, it does seem like, yeah. Oh, she's born. But but Andy, what did you think about Krasner? Because that was exciting. Yeah, I think um, they were sweating it. Not 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 necessarily this election, because like they were just going to destroy this guy. Uh, I forget his name. Uh, Charles Perud. You should look up like. There was never a chance. Though. This guy was a joke. He okay. <laughs> he had, he was outrageous. You should look up like the local stories. I thought I was like reading the Onion when I was reading the oh, local really? coverage. Okay. He like had like a, a a a dead body in his past, and like his first like. Uh, like political ad was to address this person that he was found in his apartment once. I'm, Wait, I'm like, there, like an I'm not making. Like, I don't. I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to be insensitive. But like, if you look it up, it's crazy. And oh my god. Anyway, <laughs> but I think in the primaries there was a little bit of sweating. Like this, the centrist moderate Democrat. Yeah, could, I see. Okay, could could hold Krasner accountable for like crime and homicides in the city? And I don't know. It's it's interesting that the city ha- continues to support Krasner. Yeah. Um, even cool. if the city itself, like, I don't think the mayor is necessarily very progressive. I don't think the city necessarily has a really progressive uh, voting record. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Krasner on this sort of anti-law and order message has been pretty untouchable. Wow. Yeah, this is yeah. now his third election he's won, right? I think second total. Second. second. It was the primaries. or. Whatever. Oh, yeah, that's right. right, right. Yeah, yeah. Feels like a long time, though. Yeah, it feels like a long time since then. Were you guys really bummed out about India Walton? Oh yeah, that was a weird story. That was a major bummer. But then she—it seemed like she. I don't know. I mean, uh, it seems like this was always going to happen once they let uh, the other guy, Ben Brown, run uh, do the writing campaign. Like she was always going to lose because she really did only win because of extremely low turnout and like really smart electioneering on the part of her team. You know, but uh, but it was depressing and. now, do I feel like the will of most people in Buffalo was served by having uh, her not win? Probably, but like that's not how it works, you know. Like you have elections for a reason, right? And um, I don't. What I the part I don't buy is all this stuff on the, like sort of revisionism from left Twitter accounts that are saying like, "Oh, but she said she supported 
teachers union, oh, the charter, or schools. charter schools and all the teachers union people dropped that and she's like she lost by a lot you know <laughs> like this, um, this wasn't really close like come it, on you know it like, seems uh, very much like the democratic machine stepped in and it was right, kind of over right like, it was over at that point and that sucks because that really means sucks that, like even in a city like buffalo it's like they're gonna get their way in the end right and yeah. they can do whatever they want and like they came up with this idea and it, and it fucking worked and um yeah. i think it's hard to even complain about it because i don't know if a writing campaign can work that way then like you know That's she so she probably was going to lose anyway you know not yeah. not to the republican but she you know in any sort of normal election she i don't think she would have won but i don't know <laughs> that was like the ray of hope right back in the primary was that she had won you know. it seemed like she was another aoc right but yeah and she like was she seemed great and then um i just don't believe that like it's because she like was not um actually you know left enough and she made all these like you know like she sort of like let her comrades down or whatever i'm just like i don't i don't believe really believe that it just seems like she was up against a yeah. unstoppable force all right um tammy has to go i do have to go too and so is there anything Andy, what are you going to talk about next week? Like, what's this thing you want to tee up? Uh, so I'm going to talk to two people from New Bloom, uh, which is the radical web, radical-ish website of uh, Brian Hugh, who's been on the show before. And Oh, uh, that's who it is? Yeah, and Wen Liu. Oh, from... they did a podcast about my book that I listened to today. Uh-oh. Yeah. And, and they were nice enough. <laughs> you, want, you want to be there for this interview? No, I don't. It was like three people. I, it wasn't Brian Hugh. It was like Sue Ann Shia or something like Shia. I don't know. It is. Okay, I know. Oh, I but to yeah. It. So they it's just nice. a question of, yeah, okay. Hopefully. <laughs> they said a couple of things that I was like, you know. Um, yeah. I can't believe you listen to podcasts about your book, man. Well, listen, you know, I'm a narcissist, but one of them was like, uh, he seems like an angsty boy. And I and I I don't didn't need to hear about his angstiness, and I was like, I would not call myself angsty, you know. Like I was mentally ill, you know, and so you should have some sympathy for me. But uh, you know, whatever, it's okay. I'm, I'm, uh, you can do your pie. I'm not gonna. I'm not yeah, gonna yeah. delete the file. I go into Dropbox and delete the files. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't it's know like what <laughs> The audio uh, from New Bloom seems to be uh, have been placed by like I'm an idiot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I actually enjoyed this book quite a bit. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just oh kidding. God. They're actually very nice about the book. Uh, yeah, hopefully. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, okay. But anyway, we're just going to talk about the fact that there seems to be an uptick of talk about Taiwan recently uh, in English language media, and like I think that's an open question of like, well, what do we do about it? It does seem like there's a what I seem to be detecting is like this trend by leftists in the U.S. to sort of um, not side with China, but like downplay Taiwanese politics in order to like own the Republicans because Taiwan has typically been like this Republican oh, uh, fantasy of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. so they're sort of like to own the Republicans, to own the right, they're going to like. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really weird, but uh, it does seem, does seem like there's a lot of suffering about Taiwan in the last few months, so it might be useful to talk up to some activists in Taiwan about how to un, how to understand the, I don't know, the, the, the world over there. Are the New Bloom people all in Taiwan, Taiwan? Uh, yeah. A lot of them, right? Back and forth. Like, the people I'm talking to, Brian's from New York originally. Leo Wen, or Wen Leo is 
was in New York for a long time for doing her PhD and teaching. Her and then she's back in Taiwan. One. Oh yeah, she was on no, this podcast. No. Yeah. Was she nice? No comment. <laughs> is there anything you need to plug at the end of the show is there anything you've written no but we're gonna have um on wednesday of this week our third discord book club on ishiguro's clara and the sun oh that's wednesday i'm very excited about it and yeah, i gotta um, read it <laughs> um it's going to be led co-led by a surprise guest so um, people should you should grow himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, that was too much of a. Yeah, that sounded too dramatic, right? Anthony okay. Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Thompson. Uh, yeah. Emma Thompson, yeah. It was Emma Thompson in Remains of the Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, she was. I haven't seen that movie. Um, I've read the book though. You should grow a great really, writer. That's very good oh writer. God, he is so amazing. Yeah. I think he's really amazing. Um, yeah. I just read Gary Steingart's book. That was oh, how's that? Friend of the very, podcast. Very fun, and um, it's interesting because you know it's about it's about the pandemic. So I kept asking myself, wow. like, is this too soon? Wow! But yeah, I'd love to talk with you guys about it sometime about kind of like pandemic literature and also the application of humor to digest like what we've been going through. Yeah, I've yeah. Ca- I've caught myself referring to like when the pandemic, you know, like in right? the pandemic yeah. in the past tense, For which sure. really doesn't make any sense because everyone here still wears a mask around and. You know, but it seems like we're reaching it this. It feels over for most of us who live well. Uh, does, yeah, yeah, except for the I mask. I mean, it's so class stratified. What'd you say? Oh, yeah. We have to wear masks everywhere still. Yeah, yeah. but other than that, right? Like, I, I've, I mean, it's just. Yeah. But what else would it have been? You know. I mean, death. <laughs> No, I know if you're like in a nursing home or like a congregate or like. Well, that's what a, I mean. So right. I feel like it's so kind of class and situationally. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. saying it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But what I'm saying is that like my life is actually the same as it was nine months ago. I see. Right. So it doesn't like <laughs> I don't I, I actually can't point to anything that's different. I still I, don't, I still don't really eat indoors. Everyone oh, still right, wears yeah. a mask outside. Um, sometimes I don't, you know, and not that much has changed. Yeah. I don't I don't bleach white my groceries anymore. <laughs> Not. <laughs> and I have some friends over from time to time, but I don't know. We're so cautious yeah. here in, in the Bay Area that That's it's good. like it's uh but I agree, Tammy, that when I uh see photos of New York and people in restaurants and bars, like I like do this gasp. I'm like, it's oh my pretty God. wild here. <laughs> like, oh what is going on? You know, it's like, like completely... haven't they heard of the Delta yeah. variant? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I feel like such a weenus, you know? It's like, <laughs> like, like, am I the most cautious person in America where I'm just like, oh my God, they're inside. And they're at dinner and they weren't wearing masks, you know, and, uh, like, but I, these are the thoughts of my head because I don't have those experiences. But people in New York just seem to be at parties and it's shit. It's like so, it's so crowded here. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's weird. God. Is it cool? Are you into it's, it? It's nice. I've been, I don't really eat inside, but yeah. Like, do yeah. you go to bars? I've been going to bars through the entire pandemic, but outdoors. Do you go to indoor what? bars? No. That's a yes. No. Okay, so in only the on summer, only on Wednesdays and Thursdays, my Monday, Tuesday, and Friday drinking <laughs> is mostly outdoors. <laughs> before Delta got really bad, I was going inside. Yeah, there was a window before. Now Delta. I'm back yeah, yeah, in the summer, I was going back. What to are you doing in the winter? It's gonna be cold. I know winter sucks. What are you doing in Korea? Tammy's going to Korea. That's a good soon. question. Because Korea is cold as shit. 
Yeah. But Korea, they've got to get more under control. But you still have yeah. your mask everywhere yeah. indoors. So you have to like show your app when you go anywhere, so they trace everybody. That's great. But then, can you wear? Do you have to wear a mask indoors? I don't think so. I mean, you mean like when you? I think you wear it, and then when you start eating, you don't. Yeah. So. Oh, that's like here. But I still, yeah. I don't know. Which doesn't really make sense. I know. It's so weird. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> But whatever, it's whatever we're doing. It's fun. You know, we're trying our everyone's trying their best. That's the theme of this yeah. podcast is that people are trying their best. Most people. Yeah. And that, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was thinking about it last week, Tammy, when you were talking about how like you 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 faulted Asian people who went and became hedge fund managers. Yeah. You know? And I was like, I think I should probably fault them too. You know. And I was just like, well, who cares? You know. Let people live their life is my general mentality, but uh, maybe maybe like people who are like maybe actual evil hedge fund managers, like you know, could you not do that? You know, maybe That's you shouldn't do that. There are other ways to live one's life. All right, we gotta go. Thank you for listening to the show. This one was a bit of a mess, uh, but we're gonna try and clean it up in terms of the sort of audio dropping out. If you if you and when you listen to the show are noticing moments where we all seem confused, it's because the audio kept dropping out. I'm not going to name whose fault it was, but I'm looking at her right now. In the Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to edit it. We're going to edit it. We're going to edit it. Oh, but you could, if you could somehow get over these, the weird, uh, this of the audio <laughs> and would like to support the show, you can do so at goodbye.substack.com or you can support us on Patreon. I probably at this point just do Substack, it's a lot easier for you and for everybody else. The Patreon um, is harder to get the episodes, but you know, whatever, if that's what you like, then that's what you like. We have that option. And uh, you can get in touch with us, whatever you want, at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com, or you can reach us through DM on Twitter at TTSG pod. Anything else? No. Okay. Good to see you guys. Yep. Good to see you guys. I will talk to you soon. Bye. Is you-